morning. I'm excited to be here with you all today. I want to start with a question. If you knew that a thief was planning to break into your house tonight, what would you do? You'd probably turn on every light in the house, uh, make sure the house was well lit inside, outside. Probably sit by the front door, by the front window, looking out uh, the window, watching and waiting. Probably have your phone in hand. Maybe you have uh, the numbers 911 already dialed in and ready to hit uh, send. Um, If you knew a thief was planning to break into your house tonight, the wise thing to do would be to be ready, to be prepared. To not be would be foolish. And I think today that Jesus is going to, in essence, call us, call you and I, call our church family. He calls Christ followers to sit up and to watch and to pay attention in prayer, to be ready for the enemy, for the thief. We are continuing in our series today, uh, what to say when you pray. And for the last few weeks, we've been studying a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 6. It's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, It's referred to that because the disciples came to Jesus and they said, would you teach us how to pray? And and Jesus, here in Matthew 6, we have Jesus' response. And his response, these words uh, can serve as a model or a guide for us on how to pray and how to interact with God. And we've walked through each uh, phrase of the prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Last Sunday, we looked at forgive us as we forgive others. And today we come to verse 13 of chapter 6 where Jesus instructs us to pray this. And that is not what he instructs us to pray. He instructs us to pray this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're going to ask three questions of this prayer today. First, uh, we're going to ask the question, what does Jesus mean? What does Jesus mean? I don't know about you, but at first glance, at first reading, this can be a little bit confusing. And so we're gonna, I'm going to do my best to try to explain what Jesus meant. Secondly, we're going to ask, why does Jesus want us to pray this prayer? Why? Uh, what would be the purpose for us? Why did Jesus want his disciples to pray? Why should you and I pray this prayer on a regular basis? Thirdly, we're going to ask, how do we personalize it? Like, how, how, do, we, how do we practically uh, work this into our prayer lives? How do we live it out uh, in our relationship with God? And the goal and the aim, I think for today, for our message, the thing I think Jesus would want us to hear this morning is this. Wake up. Wake up and pay attention. Watch. Be on the lookout. We have a real enemy, a real thief who's coming to steal from us. Before we go any further, let's just stop and pray right now. Father, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for this uh, prayer. Jesus, I'm thankful that you gave us this prayer and I trust that today, this morning, over the next half hour or so, that each of one of us who are listening to this, that you have something to say to us, that you want to wake us up. You want us to pay attention. You want us to open our eyes. And so God, would you just do that? Would you accomplish your purposes here this morning? Would you take your word, let it be living and active? Would you speak to us? And would you do it for your glory, Jesus? It's in your name I pray. Amen. 
Okay, so let's start with that first question. What does Jesus mean by lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one? Is Jesus saying that we should pray and ask God not to tempt us to sin? I mean, it kind of seems like that, doesn't it? Well, does God tempt us to sin? Certainly not. James chapter 1, verse 13 says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So if God does not tempt anyone to sin, then, then what is Jesus saying here? Well, to understand the meaning of the prayer, we really need to understand the meaning of the word temptation. Lead us not into temptation. In the New Testament, this word has two meanings. On one hand, temptation means that we can be enticed to sin or turn away from God. That's the definition most of us are often familiar with when you hear the word temptation. But on the other hand, temptation can also mean a test, a test to prove ourselves faithful to God. Author Michael Wilkins says it this way. He says a temptation is an enticement to get a person to go contrary to the will of God. A test tries to get a person to prove oneself faithful to God's will with the good intention that the person will pass the test. So one's a negative experience, while the other one is intended to be a positive experience. It's really important for us to recognize the difference between these two. And so let me give you a couple quick illustrations. It's deer hunting season. Got any hunters in the room? Raise your hand. Yes. All right. I see you, Ben Krause. There you go. Well, a hunter, I'm not a hunter, but I did ask, uh, I did check with Ben to make sure this was accurate. A hunter will sit in a tree stand and use a deer call. And that's an instrument that's typically designed to mimic the call of a female deer. And the female deer calls for a male deer because she wants uh, to mate. Now, the hunter offers a counterfeit call. It sounds very familiar to a female deer, but it's not the real thing. And the goal is to entice a male deer with the counterfeit so that once in his sights, the hunter can kill the deer. And so the end result, the goal of temptation is death. This is the picture of temptation. But a test, on the other hand, is different. When you go to take your driver's test, to get your driver's license, it's an opportunity for you to prove or to show that you have the knowledge and the skill that it takes to safely drive a car. And unlike a temptation, the goal isn't for you to fail your test. The goal and good intention is that you'll pass the test and that you'll get your license. And the end result, in essence, is life and blessing when you get the freedom to drive, drive your car. So you can see the difference, right? Temptation comes from Satan and is intended to harm us. But a test comes from God and is intended to help us. You and I need to be reminded today that Satan is a very real enemy. And Jesus described Satan as a thief who comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. He hates you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy my life. And Satan entices us with a bait of some kind. And it's always a shiny lure that looks good, but it's deceptive. It's counterfeit. It, it's not the real thing. And he's trying to lure us to a place where he can take us out. This is a frightening reality, right? 
Aren't you glad you came to church? <laughs> but be encouraged. Because Satan cannot tempt us without God's permission. God is sovereign and he's seated on his throne. And nothing happens in your life or mine without God's ultimate permission. And so while God does not tempt us to sin or cause us to sin, he can at times give Satan permission to tempt us. But when he does, God will use it as a test in our lives. And God doesn't want us to fail the test. He has every good intention that we will pass it. We see God doing this with Job in the Old Testament. Remember his story? God gave Satan permission to tempt Job as a way to give Job an opportunity to, to show himself faithful to God. We see God do this with Peter in the New Testament. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked permission to sift you or to tempt you. The implication is that God granted Satan's request. God said yes. And Jesus said this, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And so when Jesus says, tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation, what he's really saying is this. He's saying, pray, Father, please don't give Satan permission to tempt me. But if you do, because you want to test my faith, then open my eyes and help me to see and help me to watch and to pay attention so that I know what's happening to me and deliver me or help me so that I can pass the test. Now, the perfect picture of this is Jesus himself. Pastor and author, uh, pastor and teacher, Brad Gray, says it's, it's important to remember that this prayer, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil, that, that this prayer that Jesus gave his disciples is, is a prayer that Jesus actually lived out in his own story. So can you think of a time when Jesus was led to be tempted by Satan and at the same time tested by God? At the very beginning of his ministry, Right? Remember, he gets baptized in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Notice, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, a lonely place, a deserted place. He spent about six weeks there, 40 days, about a month and a half. He's there for almost barely a season of his life. And so God leads him into this season or into this situation, and God gives Satan permission to come and tempt Jesus. God used Satan's temptation to see if Jesus would keep his father's commands. See, just before the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, Jesus was baptized. And at his baptism, the father spoke from heaven saying, you're my beloved son. I love you and I'm pleased with you. These are words of identity, of love and acceptance for Jesus. These words gave Jesus the foundation of his life. These words gave Jesus a sense of purpose. These words gave Jesus his focus in ministry. And now in the wilderness, Satan is going to tempt Jesus to doubt the very words the Father had just spoken to him. Over and over again, he says, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. Satan is trying to get Jesus to doubt his identity as the Son of God. He's trying to get Jesus to doubt his father's acceptance, to doubt his father's love, to doubt his father's care. Satan is trying to get Jesus to doubt his father's plans for him. Satan will do the same thing in your life and mine. The very word that God speaks to you and to me are the very way, at those very, are those very points where Satan will come in and tempt us to doubt what the father has said to us. 
And just as God used this temptation to give Jesus an opportunity to show himself faithful, he does the same to us. He did this for Israel as well, back in the Old Testament. Same test Israel faced. Look back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, where Moses is summarizing why God led the Israelites into the wilderness. He says this, remember how the Lord God, Lord your God, led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. This is what God did for Israel. It's what he did for Jesus. It's what he does for you and me. At times, he will lead us into difficult seasons, seasons and situations where Satan is allowed to tempt us in order to humble us and to test us whether or not we will keep and be faithful to God's commands. Just like Job, just like Peter, just like Israel, just like Jesus, Satan will ask for God's permission to tempt you. He will tempt you to doubt God and his word. He will entice you to find your identity and your love and your acceptance in some kind of counterfeit false God. But God will use that temptation as a way to test you. He'll give you an opportunity to resist the temptation, an opportunity to stay faithful to God and his word. He gives you an opportunity to grow in your relationship with Christ. A test is an opportunity for you to become more mature and develop the character of Christ. And so this means we should pray something like this. Father, please don't give Satan permission to tempt me. And please don't test my faith. Because it's not fun when your faith is tested. It's not enjoyable. And Jesus says, you should ask this. He speaks from experience. But not my will, your will be done. If you say yes and you allow Satan to tempt me, and you want to use it as a test of my faith, then strengthen me so that I can be victorious, so that I can pass the test, so that I can stay faithful and be delivered. That brings us to question number two. Why does Jesus want us to pray this prayer? Well, I can think of two obvious reasons. Prepare and protect. First, to prepare us. Brad Gray says this, if you faithfully pray and live out the rest of the Lord's prayer, then you will be tempted by the evil one. Right? Jesus knows that as his disciples, as his followers, we are going to face temptation from Satan. And on the night he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus trying to prepare his disciples for the coming temptation. And here's what he says to them, Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Some translations say so you will not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Does that sound familiar? See, the very prayer that the Lord Jesus gave them in the Lord's Prayer, they didn't realize it, but they were going to be living it out in the future. In the garden, there they are. Jesus is saying, watch and pray. The enemy's coming. He's going to tempt you. Don't, you don't want to fall into temptation. So lead us on temptation means to watch and to pray. I like Eugene Peterson's The Message paraphrase. I think it's helpful. Here's how he uh, paraphrases this passage. When Jesus, talking about in the, garden, in the garden with his disciples, when Jesus came back to his disciples, he found them sound asleep. And he said to Peter, and by the way, he says it to Peter because Peter, just before the garden, says, I'll never deny you. I'll never leave you. And here he says to Peter, Peter, can't you stick it out with me even a single hour? And then he says this, stay alert. I think that's maybe what Jesus would have you here today, would have me here. Stay alert. Watch and pray. 
be in prayer so that you don't wander into temptation without even knowing you're in danger. <laughs> and I like what Peterson says here. There's a part of you that is eager, ready for anything in God. But there's another part that's as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. <laughs> right? I don't know about you, but most days I'm more like a lazy dog sleeping by the fire. Instead of realizing that every day the thief is probably coming to steal and to kill and destroy. If we're not careful, we can fail to realize that we are in real danger. So many of us are not paying attention. We're sleeping to the reality that the enemy is coming for us. The Apostle Peter would later speak to this in his letter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, here's what he says. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter calls the enemy a lion looking for something to eat. And he says, be alert and of sober mind. This is what we need to do. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil means be alert, be of sober mind. There is a lion seeking to devour us. If you've ever watched the Discovery Channel, you're familiar with how lions hunt, right? I think we all have seen those episodes where you have this lion who's hungry and they are vicious and merciless and they sneak up quietly on the herd of animals and they're looking for that one who gets away and is most vulnerable and then they attack and they start running and chasing and pursuing and stalking and they chase that prey until it's exhausted, unable to defend itself. It collapses on the ground and the lion just pounces. Folks, this is the image that Peter painted of the enemy and how he is coming after us. So Jesus gives us this prayer to prepare us, but he also gives us this prayer to protect us. And now, Jesus is trying to protect us from experiencing evil and some suffering. I I think that's true. But I think there's more here of what Jesus is trying to accomplish. I think he's really trying to protect our relationship with God. You think about this with me, right? Every time the enemy tempts us to sin, it's not just that he's trying to get us to do some bad thing that's not good for us. His ultimate goal is to hurt our relationship with God. We see this all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve have this sweet, close, intimate relationship with God, and Satan comes, and he comes in, and he tempts them, and he, he, he leads them astray. In the world, that's the gospel story. Now we're living in a fallen and broken world because Satan came to sever that relationship. And so... Why should we pray, lead us not into temptation? Why? What's our motivation? Because we don't want our relationship with God to be hindered in any way. I love Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's a well-known pastor. He was a well-known pastor in England back in the 40s and 50s. I've been reading a little bit of his stuff lately, and here's what he has to say about this prayer. He said, why should we ask that we may be kept from evil? For the great and wonderful reason that our fellowship with God may never be broken. Our supreme desire as children of God, our greatest desire should be to have a right relationship with God, to know him, to stay close to him, to have uninterrupted fellowship and communion with our heavenly father. That is why we pray this prayer, that nothing may come between us and our heavenly father. Notice that the Lord's prayer starts with our father in heaven. We have this relationship where we are now sons and daughters of God, but it ends with lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one, because he's the one who wants to sever that relationship. 
He's the one we've been, he, he's the one who wants to, to end that communion. And so that's why we pray this prayer, because we don't want to hurt our relationship with God. We don't want our relationship with God to be hindered in any way. And that brings us to our third question. How do we personalize this prayer? I mean, how do we practically work this prayer into our daily lives? Or another way to say it is this. How do we live out this prayer the way Jesus lived it out, right? Because that's the goal. First, I'm certain that Jesus prayed this prayer throughout his life. We see prayers like this throughout the Psalms. Lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil. So I trust that Jesus, throughout his life as a young boy, as a young man, before he ever went into ministry, I trust he was praying this prayer. So we simply need to pray this prayer regularly. When we pray this prayer, we are admitting our weakness. We're admitting our, our vulnerability, that we're vulnerable to temptation. We pr- when we pray this prayer, we're asking God for wisdom and strength. We're begging him for his help. Father, please don't give Satan permission to tempt me. Father, give me eyes to see the, the enticing traps Satan is setting for me right now. Maybe that's the unique way you need to start praying this prayer. Is Maybe you need to ask God, God, help me to see the enemy at work in my life today, in this season of my life. How is the enemy enticing you right now in your life to turn away from God? If you do allow me to be tempted, God... If you want to use that temptation as a way to test my faith, then deliver me. Deliver me from the evil one. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the same strength that you provided Jesus with. And you know, that's an important point we need to remember. That Jesus didn't overcome Satan's temptations out of just his sheer will. It was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who gave Jesus the eyes to see and the mind to understand what Satan was trying to do. It was the Holy Spirit who gave Jesus the strength and the power to be victorious. It was the Holy Spirit that gave Jesus the word of God to respond to Satan's temptations. And the same is true for us. We can be encouraged today because we have the same Holy Spirit dwelling in us that Jesus had 2,000 years ago when he faced temptation. That's encouraging. That's exciting. The Holy Spirit wants to give us the same tools that he gave Jesus. And, you know, Jesus didn't just pray, right? He also fought back. With every one of Satan's temptations, Jesus responded by using the word of God as his weapon. Listen, Satan is going to tempt you, and he's going to question and doubt what God has said to you. And doubt will lead to disbelief, and disbelief leads to disobedience. But we don't have to fall into this trap. We can be just like Jesus and we can use the word of God. See, prayer is just one aspect of gaining victory over the evil one. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, we need to put on the full armor of God. Here's what he says. Put on the full armor of God. So that, why? Why do we need the full armor of God? So that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Paul goes on to say, for our struggles not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Maybe you need to be reminded this morning who your real enemy is. I definitely want this virus to go away. We want, we want the vaccines to come. We want to get back to health, but the virus is not our enemy. We want the economy to recover. We want people to get out of the hospital. We want people to get their jobs back. 
But a bad economy is not the enemy. You may or may not have voted in this election, and who you voted for may or may not have won. But maybe you need to be reminded this morning, the government and our government leaders are not your enemy. Satan will use those things as counterfeit gods, as lures to tempt you and entice you to believe that those things are your enemy. And he will distract you. He will keep your eyes away from Jesus and realizing who your real enemy is. Paul goes on in verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. You hear a pattern here? God expects us, Jesus expects us, the Holy Spirit expects us, the Apostle Paul expects us to be able to stand our ground. We don't need to fear the enemy. We need to be aware. We need to be alert. We need to be sober-minded. But we have the power of God. We have the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. We have the full armor of God. And Paul says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then look what Paul says in verse 17 and 18. Take the helmet of salvation. You've been saved and you're a child of God. You have your, God is your Father in heaven. If you pray, our Father in heaven, you know you, you have the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I want to point out something here in this prayer that Paul says here. I want to point out this phrase, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, in the Greek, we put, in English, most Bible translations, we put a period right here. But actually, there's not a period in the Greek. And so the way it reads is there's one sentence and it says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and pray in the spirit. And so here's what Paul's telling us. You have to take the word of God and prayer through the Holy Spirit. And when you combine those together, you actually have your weapon. You have your sword. Now, who does the sword belong to? Who does the sword belong to? In that passage, this is a, uh, I want you to respond. The Spirit, right? Thank you, Joel. The Spirit. Listen, the sword doesn't really belong to you. It belongs to the Holy Spirit. What's our role? To get the Holy Spirit his sword. How do we get the Holy Spirit his sword in his hand? We get it in our hands. When you begin to take the word of God and you study it and you immerse yourselves in it and you meditate it and you chew on it and you pray the word of God in the spirit, then you give the Holy Spirit his weapon, your only weapon, to be victorious against the enemy. And we see Jesus doing this. Every time Jesus was tempted, he responded with the specific word of God. And now there's two words in the New Testament that describe the word of God. There's logos and rhema. And this is really important. Logos means, if I had a Bible here, it it means the whole of all of God's word. So the logos is God's written word. From Genesis all the way to Revelation. That's the logos, the written word. But the rhema is when God takes a specific passage of Scripture and through the Holy Spirit, he takes that passage and he gives it to you at just the time you need it so that you can 
defeat the enemy in battle. So when Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written, he's not just quoting the Logos. He's not just using the Logos. He's using the rhema. The Father had given Jesus those passages of Scripture before he ever got in that wilderness to prepare him for battle. In order for you and I to be victorious against the enemy in life, we've got to get in God's word and we've got to get the ramus that he has for us. What are the specific passages? And here's the, here's the thing. They always line up with how Satan is tempting you. So let me give you two examples of my own life. Several years ago, I started seeing that I was really struggling in my relationship with God in a specific area of feeling like, I, I remember asking that, God, are you pleased with me? Are you pleased with me? I mean, are you proud of me? And, and I, went on to think, I went on to say, you know, God, are you, are you, do you think I'm good? And it's about that time, three different, long story short, three different times the Lord gave me Matthew 3.17, Matthew 3.17, Matthew 3.17. So I started studying Matthew 3.17. I already quoted once in this message. It's when the Father says to Jesus, you're my son whom I love, my beloved son, and with you I'm well pleased. The father was saying, Kevin, the enemy is lying to you. He's trying to get you to doubt how I think about you, about your identity. I want you to know you are my son. I love you, and I'm pleased with you. And I was wrestling, do you think I'm good? And I kept studying that passage. I kept meditating on it. And I was led one day, well, pleased. what's that mean? And I went on the website, blueletterbible.org, and I looked it up. You can do this. You don't have to be a pastor. And I went on the website, and I looked it up. And there and there is the Greek word. And the word well, pleased is the Greek word eudaico. And do you know what eudaico means? It means to think one is good. I mean, I have not used that perfectly. But that is a sword. That is a rhema that God gave me several years ago. And for the last several years, I just keep coming back to that over and over and over again. And I'll be honest with you. When I sit down to pray or I get disoriented in my life, I go to one passage, Matthew 3.17. You say, I am your son, that you love me, that you're pleased with me, and that I'm good to you. That begins to silence the enemy's lies in my life. Let me give you one I've been wrestling with in a new way, in a fresh way in the last few months. Philippians 3.9. Paul writes this in Philippians 3.9. And be found in him, in Christ. Paul says this about himself. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And so I've been really wrestling with this year about my own righteousness. <laughs> Come to find out, I'm a pretty self-righteous person. <laughs> I think I'm a pretty good guy. I take a lot of pride in some areas of righteousness. I take, I've taken some pride in my relationship with God and my Christian living. And the Lord led me, I think, to this passage where the Apostle Paul says, he says he doesn't have any righteousness of his own that comes from the law, that comes from being a good Christian. The Apostle Paul says he doesn't take any pride in his walk with God. Wait, what? He doesn't take any pride in his holiness. He doesn't take any pride in his Christ-likeness. He doesn't take pride in anything he's done, anything he's per his performance, anything. He says, I, I don't take any righteousness from that. I get no righteousness from that, Paul says. Now, that's stunning to me. And as I look at that, and then Paul says this. He 
he says, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul says, I, I, don't, want, I, I don't want any righteousness of my own. I only want the righteousness that comes from Jesus because on the cross, Jesus took all your sin and my sin upon him and he gave us all of his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's just been exploding in my heart and my mind because, I, and now every time I, 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 I've been wrestling with feeling like a failure, feeling like I'm, I, 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 I'm not living up, I, that my, I, I'm, my, I have so many weaknesses and I'm falling short and all these things. And, and, and God says, no, 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 Kevin, Matthew, uh, Philippians 3.9, Philippians 3.9. Your righteousness doesn't come from yourself. Your righteousness comes from God. You have my righteousness. And so that's just a, that's a new rhema that I've been using to wrestle with, to fight back against the enemy who's constantly trying to get me to doubt my identity, my worth, my value, my righteousness in Christ. Those are two examples from my own life. I, I bet you have some too. I bet you, if I sat down and asked you, you, you could point to a couple. Maybe you don't. Here's my, here's my challenge for you today. Ask God to show you the ways the enemy is tempting you. Ask God to show you, give you eyes to see how Satan is lying to you and getting you to doubt your identity in Christ and God and his goodness and his plans and his faithfulness. And then go into God's word and ask the Holy Spirit to give you a passage or two that you begin meditating. Write it down on an index card. Put it in your Bible. Start praying it over and over again. And then when you get those days when you're feeling discouraged and you're feeling down and you have doubts start coming in, you pull out that sword of the Spirit and you get victory over the enemy. Let me close with a couple of words of encouragement. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And I love this. God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Our faith, our faith is not in our faithfulness to pass the test. Our faith is in God's faithfulness, that he will be faithful to give us the strength and provide a way out, that he will equip us to be victorious. He will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. Jesus wants to help. Jesus is for you, man. He's rooting for you. Just like he's rooting for Peter, I've prayed that your faith won't fail. Jesus is praying that for you and me too. He doesn't want us to fail. He, but you know why? Because he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Every temptation you and I face, Jesus faced. And yet he did not sin. He was victorious. You can turn to Jesus for support, for help, for encouragement, for comfort. You can run towards Jesus. He knows how challenging the fight against temptation can be. I want to remind ourselves, I want to end with the good news in the gospel. The gospel is this, that when Jesus prayed, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, he heard his father say, no. Jesus was led into the temptation and the testing, and he was victorious every time he was tested. But then he was not delivered from evil. Instead, he was delivered into the hands of sinners. 
and he unjustly went to the cross. And God took the, all the evil of the world, the, all the evil of your sin and mine, and he laid it upon his one and only son. Good news is this. He died, he was buried, and three days later, he rose from that grave. He overcame not only temptation, he overcame the evil one, he overcame death, he's alive today, he's ascended at the right hand of the Father, and he is with us and he is for us, and we have victory. We have the ultimate victory that this life is temporary, this place is not our home, that one day he's going to return and he's going to take us to be with us, be with him forever. That's good news. But unfortunately, in this world, we still have a battle to face. It's been said, he won the war. We still have battles every day. So let's end today with a time of prayer. I want to briefly pray through the Lord's Prayer, and then let's pray together that God would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are so awesome, God. We thank you for demonstrating your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. We thank you that you've adopted us as sons and daughters, and now we get to approach you, the God of the universe, like a child approaches a father. We know that you're on your throne, and you alone are worthy of praise. We want your kingdom to come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want your kingdom to come and your will be done in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my children's lives, in this church family, in this community, in this city, in this world. May your kingdom come and your will be done. And God, would you give us today our daily bread? We trust you're going to meet all of our needs. I know you're going to supply all of our needs. God, would you forgive us our sins as we forgive others? Thank you for forgiveness. God, give us the grace and the wisdom to forgive anyone we need to forgive in our lives. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, would you open our eyes? Would you awaken us? Would you quicken us so that we'll pay attention, we'll wake up, we'll be alert and of sober mind? Would you give us eyes to see how the enemy is setting traps, is uh, enticing us, is luring us to turn away from you? God, give us eyes to see. Holy Spirit, enlighten our minds so we can see the truth. And would you empower us, Holy Spirit? Would you fill us, Holy Spirit? Would you give us the word, the weapons, the swords of the Spirit, Lord, that we need to gain victory? And we thank you for the ultimate victory that Jesus has. And our hope and our faith is in his faithfulness. It's in his name we pray. Amen.